Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Straight Shot Health Talk. This is your host, Dr. Kevin, and I'm very pleased to have on the line with us today, Dr. Beth Darnell. Dr. Darnell is a clinical professor in the Department of Anesthesiology at Stanford Medicine. She is a uh, well-researched, well-published pain scientist, which is fantastic. But most importantly, what I, what I really, really enjoy about Dr. Darnell is that she's looking at ways to empower patients. So her research is really centered on ways to, to allow patients to find control over their pain again, and to do that without what are the most common therapies that we see, the cutting, the poking, the drugging, and things like that. Um, the, we're gonna start off this conversation with a discussion of her most recent publication that just was produced in the Journal of the American Medical Association this year, just a couple months ago, that had to do with a topic that, to be honest, a lot of people in the pain community think is impossible. And that is weaning patients off of opioids, including high dose opioids, who have been on opioids in some cases for years, and doing that in a way that doesn't require any additional medications and patients being more satisfied and feeling better after they're done. Um, which is near and dear to my heart. So Dr. Darnell, thank you coming on for stuck uh, onto straight shot health talk and introduce yourself. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much, Kevin. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So I, I just want to touch on that, that, um, your, your most recent study, cause again, it is almost like a unicorn. Um, yeah. people who've been listening yeah. for a long time know that I rant and rave about this stuff, but that the, there's this, there's this sort of underlying false belief in the yeah. medical pain community that patients who are on opioids chronically and have been on opioids chronically, sometimes extremely high doses, that these patients can't come off these medications. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I would love to hear your experiences with that. Yeah, th thank you. This study was really exciting um, because it allowed us to do the science and put forward the data to show what many of us who've been working with chronic pain over the years have known, but there haven't been really good studies to demonstrate this truth. And so and some of the common misperceptions that um, abound among physicians, clinicians, and patients alike. Um, the first mis misconception is that if a patient has been on opioids for a long period of time, it's going to be incredibly difficult to get them off, if not impossible, on the outpatient basis. They're going to have to go inpatient, go through some sort of a detox program. Um, and, and this is, you know, a perception that is commonly held for people who, you know, where addiction isn't an issue, but just the idea that it's so difficult if a, if a patient has been on opioids for a long period of time. Second misperception is that if patients have been on have been on high doses, the higher the dose, the more difficult it's going to be to help patients um, get off of opioids or at least to reduce the dose, that there's going to be um, a, a lot of difficulty involved. The third misperception is that if you reduce opioids, um, you're going to expose underlying pain that, you know, this is the number one concern among patients about opioid reduction is they fear having more pain and, um, it, and rightly so. I mean, this is a, this would would be anyone's concern. But in fact, what the data tell us is that when patients reduce their opioids, um, pain does not 
necessarily increase. The problem is that those data have all been conducted on inpatient patients. They're um, conducted on populations who are going inpatient and have intensive uh, services, you know, interdisciplinary intensive services of some sort. And I mean, let's face it, Kevin, almost nobody has access to that high level of care. And so what we set out to do was to conduct a study where that was pragmatic, that we would take everyday patients in uh, outpatient pain clinic, patients on opioids for years between, you know, the, I think the average length of time on opioids was six years, but it was between one and 38 years that um, our patient uh, sample had been on opioids and also on high doses, you know, a median dose of about 300 morphine equivalents daily. And we wanted to see if we could help them reduce their opioid dose over four months. And that was, you know, that was sort of the the goal and um, the intention of our study. Yeah, and, and there's there's a couple key points I just want to kind of reiterate there. One for for the medical professionals out there. Um, again, this was in the primary care clinic, and you did. And it was primary care physicians and and other clinicians who were who were doing the wean. Is that correct? Well, actually, it was in a pain clinic, oh, okay. and so this is yeah. So this is a specialty pain clinic, and um, in Colorado, you know, sort of in the more in the mountains of Colorado, primarily, um, where we didn't have good access to additional support. Um, when we first uh, envisioned doing the study, my idea was well, let's give everyone who dis- who agrees to a voluntary opioid taper, let's help give them support. Let's connect them to pain psychology services, biofeedback, group support. Um, We wanted to help people as much as possible, but what we found was that there were so many logistical and insurance barriers that we weren't able to connect these patients to any type of support while they were going through this voluntary opioid reduction, other than their very caring physician who was conducting the taper. Um, So in that sense, it was very real world because there wasn't all of this additional support available that your everyday patient in the community wouldn't have access to. So so this is kind of a direct, uh, you know, it's a pragmatic study of kind of the state of care in the United States, what's actually available to people with pain. Do you think uh, that this is something that could be done in a primary care clinic then? Absolutely, and that's what we're testing right now. So these um, JAMA data, we were um, we got some excellent results. So first of all, we found that um, of the patients who completed our study, we had um, this was a pilot project. We have 51 patients complete our study. We found that um, within our four month study period, that um, overwhelmingly patients were able to reduce their opioids and therefore their health risks. We found um, on average patients reduced their opioids by. By over half, um, many patients um, were, I believe, 16 of the 51 reduced their opioid dose below 90 uh, milligrams daily, and uh, four of our patients tapered off completely inside of four months. Um, so now what we're doing, we used these pilot data. We um, secured a $9 million research award from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. 
And this award will allow us to conduct uh, additional pragmatic studies on patient-centered opioid tapering in five different clinics in four western states, and this will include both pain clinics and primary care clinics. So this is important because we want to put forward methodology that would be broadly generalizable. Um, so what we found in the in and report in the JAMA article is that our patient-centered methods, which focus on voluntary opioid tapering, working with patients to help them feel comfortable, to go at their pace, um, and, and to go very slowly with the taper as a, as a pathway to obviate or reduce any discomfort or withdrawal symptoms. Um, we found that that methodology um, appears to be successful. In the PCORI project, in this next phase of study where we're going to be enrolling uh, up to 1,300 patients and, and studying patients um, for one year, we will uh, then be randomizing them to behavioral support. So a third of our patients will be randomized to cognitive behavioral therapy, a third will be randomized to the chronic pain self-management program, and the final third will only get our taper protocol, the patient-centered opioid tapering program. So essentially that third group, that third study arm, it's, it's going to be the same study that we report in the JAMA paper. No additional behavioral support, just the taper. Uh, the only difference is that we're going all the way to one year. Mm -hmm. In the JAMA paper, we went to four months. Now we're going to study patients for a much longer period of time so we can understand what happens later. Do they continue to reduce their opioid doses and even more patients taper to zero? Or potentially do some patients increase opioid dose over time? We want to better identify specific patient needs so that we can move forward with the science in terms of developing supportive systems to address those needs. So a, a very patient-centric approach, which I am hearing you say. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of the secret sauce, you know, because there are so there's there are so many fears around um, opioid reduction, and um, what we know from from the science is that if uh, patients have fears, if they have anxiety, if they have uh, catastrophizing or nocebo, uh, that that will actually oppose opioid analgesia and it will undermine their ability to have a successful taper response. So it's absolutely imperative that we address each patient's concerns, their fears, essentially their psychology because that will that is a critical predictor of their outcomes. So rather than just throwing people on a forced taper or you know putting people on um, some kind of a, a regimented program that is too aggressive, we aim to work with patients to help them trust, to feel comfortable, to be willing to partner with their doctor to uh, slowly reduce their opioids uh, over time and therefore reduce their health risks all without increasing their pain. Yeah, that's fantastic. And again, you touched on another important topic is when it comes to these weaning protocols, um, you know, so much of their, you know, and I kind of wonder this as people say, well, you can't do it. And, I, and 
you look at what what a lot of the common published weaning protocols are and you're like of course that's not going to work they're taking yeah, them off yeah. of massive doses i mean some of them some of them they're long you know their lo- their quote unquote long taper is 6 weeks i'm like are, I you, know. are you insane i know <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is, Kevin. And, you know, you and I can spot that a mile away because we work with people with chronic pain. But often these types of uh, tapers may be conducted um, in situations where uh, the clinician is not working closely with patients with chronic pain, or um, there's there's just not maybe a lot of thought and knowledge behind it. Um, but, you know, as I like to say, slow and steady wins this race. Um, there's a clear methodology for preventing discomfort, and slower is better. Um, we find that when we go very slowly, the brain and the body have time to adjust, um, and that can prevent, certainly mitigate many of uh, withdrawal symptoms. And that's that's really a key. Um, not only are we trying to prevent withdrawal symptoms, but we also want patients to feel successful. And they're going to feel successful if they're nice and relaxed about the process. And if we're doing what we call sort of these micro-dose decrements, um, patients will feel more at ease about a tiny, tiny reduction versus a big jump. And uh, and that's what we want to help them with. I mean, the way I look at it is many of many of these patients have been on opioids for years or even decades. Why are we rushing to get them off over a course of uh, just a few weeks or even a few months? Um, why not take the longer view, take a very conservative approach, set them up for success, and just go slow and steady towards that towards that goal, whatever it is. No, you know, absolutely, and and really recruiting the patient into into the process, which I which again it gets it seems to get ignored so often, and and of, of course, folks, there's certain situations when you when there are faster tapers and when there's huge risks and in, in other kind of things, but the, we're not talking about those those behaviors where we have those significant concerns. What we're talking about is the vast majority of people who've been placed on chronic opioids at a time when that was really what we were taught and, and trained to do. And how we can help these patients to come off these medications that we now know have some significant harms associated with them. And one of which being is there's, you know, there's some suggestion that not only does it not help your pain, that it actually can make your pain worse over time. And uh, yeah, you know, you know, that is such an important point, Kevin. And, um, you know, what what we really find is that in our study, what what was so important about the JAMA publication was that we took people who had been taking opioids, high-dose opioids, for a number of years. We reduced their opioids. Guess what happened to their pain? It either stayed the same or it improved. And so we have to sit back and then ask ourselves, why are, you know, what are these medications actually doing? Um, now, you know, there are, this is not to say this is true for every single patient, but what we're finding is that for the vast majority of patients, we can reduce opioids or even, even taper them down to zero. And as long as we use the right methodology to do that, it will not increase their pain and it could actually improve their pain. And it, it sort of suggests that, you know, we're not actually treating pain at all um, with opioids, long-term opioids, that for many people, what we're 
pre- what we're doing is we're preventing withdrawals. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a better way to do that. That's, that's the question that we're testing. There's a better way to prevent withdrawals. And that's with a very slow, gentle taper. Take, a, take as much as a year if you want to. Um, but let's help patients reduce their risks because it doesn't appear that it's going to increase their pain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and there's and there's so many other you know huge advantages to those kind of low and slow tapers, is and I'm just going to kind of throw out there throw things out here that we've experienced anecdotally in my region, um, and and I'd love to hear your feedback on this, but it if you're I'm going to the the first key point for if you're a clinician out there is to understand when you're starting a taper or a wean that there's two ways you can approach it. One, you can approach it from the fact of oh. Opioids are all bad, and, and they're saying we have to, t- to k- take people off and, and not talk about pain with your patient. But the other way is when you understand a little bit about hope, the, the risk factors of opioids. If you're doing it for the purpose of helping your patient and you're talking about it in terms of how I can help you, my patient, how can I help you, it changes your relationship with them. And it can. And if you're doing that in a way where you're getting your patient to, to trust you, that improves the therapeutic relationship. The other part about that is is because when you're weaning these patients over time, they're coming in for these visits to wean their opioids, which provides you a contact point at every every point to in, to improve that relationship. So, again, right. an, it's right. anecdotally in our region, though, it, you know, it, it's astounding to see how patients build these relationships with their physician or their, or their cl- clinician, and at some point, they all some of them get excited. And I, I, you know, people come back to me and say, you know, I started a wean on a patient, and they actually wanted to start going faster than than I wanted to go because they got yeah. so excited over time. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's it, it's a funny point. And one of the things that we're building into our protocols is is to actually we're discouraging physicians from going faster. Um, you know, they could certainly override that recommendation, but. We actually believe that it's it's more beneficial to keep it really slow and steady, even for those who are really excited about reducing their opioids, um, because we're we're so committed to them having a successful result. Um, but you know what you're hitting on is another important point. There's a there's another common perception that. Um, that patients really want to remain on opioids. And uh, and the truth is patients come to me all the time asking for help to get off. They're asking for alternatives. They're asking for solutions. And I think that's sort of what you're getting at is that, you know, once we give, once we invite patients um, to participate in this pathway, giving them a clear option, they get really excited about reclaiming their health because nobody wants to take opioids. Nobody wants to take opioids. People don't want pain. And so if we can give them an alternative pathway that doesn't increase their pain, you know, most people are interested in at least trying it, Mm -hmm. even if, you know, that not saying it's going to be 100% success for every single patient, but most people are willing to give it a try. Yeah. And and as long as they know they're not going to be abandoned during the process. Yeah, that's it. That's critical. That's critical. And unfortunately, that's what's happening today anyway, in many cases where, um, you know, physicians don't want to take on prescribing, don't want to take on new patients or are being pressured to comply with guidelines from the organization, from the state, national guidelines. 
And so, um, you know, it's, it's not a great time for uh, people with chronic pain who are t- taking opioids. And so these types of patient-centered approaches and solutions are really needed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, just had something flip through my brain, and I, I totally forgot it. So we're gonna just—it was—it was. I thought it was really interesting, and now it, now I can't find it anymore. Oh, um, um, this might be a little controversial, uh, but I I would love your opinion on what you know what we do see. We do, what we don't see is what you're doing, which is really uh, the research behind. And developing the evidence to support these low, slow tapers without a lot of additional intervention, without all this complexity, which 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 most clinics aren't going to be able to have. And what what we're seeing a lot of it, again, at least in Oregon, is this push towards what we you know what we call medication assisted therapy, or or yeah. this idea that we you can't take people off opioids or can't wean them off opioids. You have to replace it with another drug. And I, I would just love your opinion on that. Do you think that is, um, what, what are your thoughts behind that? Well, you know, the, the medication-assisted tapering is, is kind of a, a newer approach, and it has a, a lot of favor. And I think that, you know, it certainly can have its place, and and the clinicians who use clinicians who use that approach um, are, you know, that they're very comfortable with that and feel very strongly about that approach. I will say that in working with patients with chronic pain over the years and helping them reduce their opioids, there was no conversion to Suboxone or other medications. Now, I want to make clear that these were patients who did not have substance use disorder or addiction concerns. These were individuals living with chronic pain who were prescribed chronic opioids who were interested in reducing and stopping those opioids and um, that we're able to do that very successfully without doing a conversion or this medication-assisted taper. Similarly, in the JAMA publication, we did not cross-taper. We just very slowly reduced opioids over time. Um, So, you know, it's not that there's a right or a wrong way to do it. Um, I think there needs to be a very healthy appreciation that medication-assisted tapering is one way to do it, um, but that there are other ways to do it. You can do it without medication-assisted taper. And the reason why I feel so strongly that that needs to be appreciated is that there are very few physicians who actually do prescribe, um, you know, Suboxone and, and similar medications. And so um, I don't want physicians to falsely encode that unless they have a special license and training to do this process that they can't help their patients on opioids reduce their opioids if you know successfully if they wish to um, the message I would like to bring forward is that you know we have a simple methodology um, that we're continuing to study and over the next couple of years we're going to put forward our systems um, we're going to make them freely available in easy to implement formats that are going to give physicians in the United States and elsewhere the playbook for how to do this in a very basic way without converting, uh, without medication-assisted tapering. So again, it's not it's not that there's a perfect way or a right way. We need to appreciate the individual patient needs, but physicians need to hear the message that you can do it um, just by 
reducing opioids for most patients. Yeah, you know, absolutely, because I, I do a lot of work with primary care, and they're putting this rock in the hard place where they are not comfortable doing this. <laughs> and so now you're, not, you're increasing the stress of the physician by, you know, mandating that they do a new certification when, you know, and, and, and I, I think we're saying very similar things is there is a time and place for these medication-assisted treatments. There right. is a specific subset of, popu- of patients that would probably benefit more from that, but they're also not the majority of patients who are yeah. opioids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. And I think that, you know, again, there's just, there's a lot of perceptions and there's a, a lot of lore around opioids. And, you know, just like in our JAMA paper, you know, challenging the misperceptions that if you've been on opioids for a lot of years and at high doses, um, that it's difficult to come off. And that, you know, also that if you reduce opioids, you're going to have more pain. Well, we're showing that that's not the case. And another important thing that we, we were showing is that not only can you do this successfully, but you don't have to rotate to other medications um, on balance. You know, again, you know, you're right. There's, there are exceptions. There's a time and a place for certain patients, um, certainly. But it shouldn't necessarily be the default go-to. You know, we don't have good data suggesting that that's the best practice. So until someone puts that forward, you know, we might just want to be really thoughtful about um, helping patients reduce medications, reduce their prescriptions. Yeah, and I just love that. It's like simple. Why, how, like, why do we try to make this so complex? They're on an opioid. You just wean that opioid. <laughs> you don't have, right. You know, it's not converting right. it from, right. from the new Again, morphine equivalent yeah, doses I, I and agree. this and that. I agree. And so, um, and if we can help them do that in a very, um, you know, a, a patient-centered, slow fashion, l- let's see how well we do just with that. Mm-hmm. Our, our data suggests that most patients. Um, do quite well with with that simple process. So um, I, I know we don't have a whole lot of time here, so I'm gonna I want to just get a couple more questions. But one one I would I, I would if you had a person who perhaps is on chronic opioid therapy and has been hearing all this the horrible awful things and the risks of addiction and the risk of prescription overdose deaths and things and and are are really concerned about it, but they but they're just not sure how to start. Like and we're talking patient. But they were, have a primary care doctor they're working with. Is there a way that you would suggest that they open that discussion with their with their clinician? Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, you know I, I always recommend that patients talk to their doctor. You know, talk to your doctor about your goal to slowly reduce your opioids over time and to develop um, to develop a plan for how you can work together with your doctor to do that. Um, the JAMA article is uh, online. It's open access. It's it's available for any physician and patient to to read, and that could be discussed. Um, I similarly discuss my recommendations for how to reduce opioids um, in my first book, Less Pain, Fewer Pills. That was that was specifically written for the patient with chronic pain taking opioids who is interested in reducing opioids. And so I give my um, formula and my tips for how to be successful with that goal. Great, great. And and then I'm going to flip that on the side is now if you have a clinician or you know say let's say primary care who is been kind of 
receiving whiplash through this process, you know, told you're, you're not prescribing enough. And now they're telling, being told that they prescribe too much and they need this new drug and, and, but really wants to start introducing this concept with their patients, but are concerned, um, maybe, yeah. can, you know, concerned if someone's going to get angry at them. What, what, what's a way that you, or a, a simple, this is almost impossible to do in two minutes, but a simple way that you would you would suggest that they can introduce this con- the the conversation and introduce the idea that someone could voluntarily choose to come off their opioids. Yeah, you know it's it's a great question, and it's and it's really what um, most physicians are looking for and lacking is a way to initiate the conversation. And so, I think a nice way to start out is by describing the data and the science. You know, we have new data available, and you know, really showing that um, that when medications are reduced very slowly over time, your brain and your body have enough time to adjust, and the data suggests that pain. Is not increased and so I'd like to work with you you know over the course of the next year to help you reduce your opioids and your health risks Um, and so discuss the benefits with them Mm -hmm. ask them what are their concerns Um, if their concern is more pain then you can talk about how the slow approach will mitigate the likelihood of them having that uh, occur. You can also talk about um, how they can remain in control, you know, that if they wanted to pause the taper during certain times or, you know, whatever circumstances that they would have the ability to do that. Helping patients feel in control is really important. So in that narrative with patients, the, the sort of the approach is, I'd like to partner with you. Let's work together to help you, you know, get to a better place with this, where you have less risk, where you don't have more pain, and where we can focus on some evidence-based approaches that can really help you move forward with some of your other goals. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's just fantastic. And um, we're almost at the 30-minute mark, and I just wanted to really appreciate you, Dr. Darnell, with the work that you're doing. Yeah, it, it is. It's it, you know, for me out in the wilderness, it, it is always good to to know that there are people asking these questions and doing these big research protocols, um, and 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 to look at you know really pain and opioids and in the treatment of pain in a way that is much more patient centric, patient empowering, less reliant on uh, you know due to me therapies. Um, so I I really really appreciate taking the time here. Oh, thank you, Kevin. Well, first of all, you know, thank you for inviting me on your show. It's it's really a pleasure and an honor. And um, I was just delighted to meet you as uh, a kindred colleague who, you know, really and truly has uh, patients' best interests at heart in, in really thinking critically about how we can best help the patient um, live better, function better uh, with the lowest risk approaches. And so I'm, I'm really delighted to, to partner with you on your show in this way to bring forward this information. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And for everybody else out there, again, just to, to kind of re- I know there's two different audiences that we have. If you're a clinician, this is something that you can do. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes at straightshothealth.com for this episode to that paper that we're talking about that was published in JAMA. Again, it is open op- open license, so you can you can get the the PDF there. It's it's easy to see, and the protocols. Again, it's this is not 
it's a simple protocol, but effective. And for patients out there, uh, just kind of realize if, if you've been concerned about opioids and if you, you, you know, you're concerned about your pain and opioids and you're, and you're thinking that you want to dip your toe in this, this is, this, there's an opportunity here. The, the most important thing is to have a clinician that you're working with and that you trust. And if you have that relationship, I'm telling you folks, you can start this process, you can succeed, and you can get better. So everybody out there, thanks for joining me today. And until next time, stay well.